Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I'm so thankful uh, for everything God is doing in our lives, in our church, in our community. Um, I wanted to start by reminding us, even before I get into this message, that there's more to be done in your life. There's more to be done in our church. There's more to be done in our community. Did you know we need to know Jesus, but keep knowing him more? And we have a lot of people that need hope, that need healing, that need a demonstration of God's power in their life. It might be you today. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves, man, there is work to be done. That's why we are all about actively following Jesus and loving our neighbor for the good of our city. Everything we do is to this aim. Uh, Wasn't that a great report about Graceland Espanol? Uh, If you didn't hear last week, we there was over 800 tacos served and the money raised. And if you don't know this, Graceland Espanol is uh, part of Graceland Church Thursday night to 7 p.m., but we're also approaching it a little bit like a church plant. So it's, it's going to stay with us and be a part of our church, but that's why we're raising some extra funds for that. And Pastor Oscar is raising funds uh, around the country from connections that he has as well to help get that ministry off and running. Because for a lot of those uh, Spanish-speaking people that are coming there, that is their congregation, right? That's why it's like a church plant. So continue to pray for them. You can support them. There's always drop-down uh, giving on our website for Graceland Espanol. I love how Pastor Oscar says it. Who's going to tell uh, these Spanish-speaking people that are coming to this area that Jesus loves them in their own language? And we want to say yes to that. I'm so thankful for all of our ministries. I'm not going to list a bunch, but I think of Celebrate Recovery a lot. Who's going to walk with the hurting and help them get free? I think about our kids and our youth a lot. Who's going to invest in this next generation, that they will know the stories of the power of God. Isn't it awesome that we have youth every Sunday at 5 p.m. now? So excited about that. Um, I don't know what the, I think the active roster is about 25 or so. And, you know, our youth group didn't even exist just a little while ago. And I know next year we'll have uh, 14 fifth graders becoming sixth graders, so they all join the youth. It's just going to happen in a, in a year or two with the, the natural growth of the church and, um, and then the kids getting older. It's going to be a youth group of 50, 60, probably 70 kids here before we know it. And this is a place where they're going to be discipled, have fun. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And it's going to keep growing. We're celebrating that. Um, it's why it's also important, and actually, before I mention this, We have fall community groups coming up, which Pastor Oscar mentioned. You'll hear about that. We encourage you to connect, to grow as a follower of Christ. We got our fall festival on the calendar. So uh, mark the date, October 29th, 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And we're going to try to double the size of it this year. So we're going to prepare for 1,000 people, and we're going to have, you know, that many more elements of food, candy, and hot dogs. So we need all of you guys to sign up and help. Bethany, can you wave? If you know ahead of time that you want to help, that's Bethany. Give her a hand. She's our event coordinator. Um, in our second service here, I need to note this. It's really important that, you know, even right now on a rainy day when our attendance is generally going to be down a little, if a visitor walked in here right now, they would feel like this room was full right? It's not actually completely full, but a lot of the seats are full, especially on the back and the edges. So we've said this before, but th- three things. One, and this is, none of this is uh, laden with guilt or pressure, but it's something that we have to do. <laughs> one, but one, um, we need some of you guys to pray about switching to first service. We have a first service that is not this full, um, and I'm not going to be like asking anybody personally, but if it's something that works for you, it is the exact same service, full kids ministry. It starts at nine o'clock. Um, in some ways, it's better. I'm just saying. I mean, they, 
They might, you might grow that much more in the room. I'm just kidding. Um, prayerfully consider that. That's why we do it. That service is probably about half the size of this service as far as attendance. Um, but everything is still fully functional and awesome. And also, we need you in this second service as much as possible when you arrive. If you can, don't park in the main parking lot because obviously our lot is very small. Uh, if possible, and it's no big deal for you to walk, park out on the edge of the driveway somewhere. You can even drive down and park by the pond. Find a spot on the grass somewhere. If you consider yourself uh, part of this church, that would help us a lot because visitors need to feel like they have a spot to park, right? And then also, when you come in, and this is no shame on you guys in the back right now, but if uh, David Dutton, no, I'm, just, I'm not calling anyone's name out, but <laughs> he's shaking his head as me. Uh, Park far, sit close is the idea. So if possible, when you get here, move one row forward. And then the other thing is move towards the middle. Because what that'll allow us to do is it'll make it feel like there's some space in the back and on the edges. And then the other thing we're going to do is we're going to, our ushers, are, and we're doing it today. If someone walked in today, our ushers would help that person find a seat. But again, like look around real quick. If someone walked in right now, especially if they had three or four people, they would be forced to come to like the very front row. And if that's your first time, that's a really hard thing to do. You guys tracking with me? So we just are committed to showing hospitality. Sometimes people show up to a church desperate for hope, right? And if they have worked up the courage to actually show up to a new place where they know no one, we want to make sure there is room for them and that it feels like there's a spot for them to park and a spot for them to sit. So can you guys help us with that? Thank you. Um, thank you, Nessa. You're going to front row. I like it, girl. You know, my kids actually play a game with this mini soccer ball right here in our house. I'm not necessarily condoning, you know, kicking ball games in homes, but we do it. In our living room and in our foyer, we don't kick it in the air or really hard, but we play little games of soccer back and forth. It's more just kicking to the goal, and there's a little section over here that's the goal, a little section over here that's the goal, and uh, all of us play. My wife, I play the most with the, the, the kids in this particular game, and my four-year-old son has done this really cute thing over and over again. Every time something happens, someone might start, start celebrating a goal, but then Clay will be like, wait a second, wait a second, we, can't, we gotta pause the game. That actually did not go in. And he'll be like, Nessa, you did not get a point on that one, or Kenzie, or Dad, that didn't go in. And then, and then if we acknowledge it, oh, you're right, it was, a, it was like an inch outside of the goal, he'll be like, okay, we can resume. And then we'll play again, and then there are other times where, of course, he, he thinks he scored, and maybe he really did, and we're like, no, it wasn't in. He'll be like, no, 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 stop the game. Stop the game. Dad, that actually went in. He loves this word, actually, over and over again. And I think that word is going to serve us well today, and let me just start by defining it. Actually means in point of fact or in reality. So Clay is saying, wait a second. We got to keep this honest. In point of fact or reality, I have four and you have two. I'm winning, things like that. And today, uh, we're going to do a message called Actually Believing Jesus. And the reason I think the word actually is pretty pertinent for us and I think will be helpful to you is we live in a culture in America and also in this area that is historically identified as being Christian. So a lot of us just kind of grow up in that and we're used to saying we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, yeah, we believe this, but oftentimes, and you guys would know this, it can mean little to nothing, right? Anybody willing to say that, that you had a time in your life? I know for me, that's how I spent the first 17 years of my life. I was 
like basically born in a pew, pastor's kid, fourth generation, memorized scripture since I was young, but um, I would have said I believe in Jesus and I would have claimed God as my own, but it meant little to nothing in my life. So here's a couple questions I wanna challenge you with today. Ask yourself this, am I actually believing Jesus? And if you use that with the definition of actually, you would say, am I, in point of fact and reality, believing Jesus? And here's a follow-up question. What would my life look like if I actually believed Jesus right now? What would be different? And perhaps, like the game that I play with my kids with this mini soccer ball, the scorecard could potentially look a little different if you challenge yourself with the word actually. And we're going to look at John chapter 10. We're going to finish that chapter today. We're going to go verses 22 to 42. We've been studying the book of John for a year now. Can you believe it? And we've done 10 chapters. We take little breaks for little series here and there. We'll take a couple this fall. But as you can see, we'll be in the book for another year. If you're new and you haven't been here the last year, that's fine. They're also, every single one is a standalone message. But we are just treasuring God's word. And I want you guys to be inspired to go more to God's word on your own. And I got to tell you, as I have dove into John chapter 10 for this amount of time, it's profoundly affecting me. I can actually, I said this to one of my counselors and mentors the other day. I said, man, something about the study in this book and where it has taken me has given me a deeper, more sure foundation of hope than I've ever experienced in my life. And I've been following Jesus and a minister for 20 years, and it's just doing something like a deeper work. And we want to make much of his word because it is our strength right? And his word is powerful. So we're going to read the whole text, and then we're going to go through verse by verse. Starting in verse 22, it says this, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify, testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, have I shown you many good works from the Father? For which of, sorry, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. 
They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. I love how this passage opens up in verse 22. Look back at it. It says, then came the festival of dedication. So we're back into a feast time, which means people are gathering in large numbers around Jerusalem. And look what it says. It was winter. It's describing the environment and the season. And then Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. This sounds to me like the setup for a great movie or something. I'm a big movie guy. By the way, I'm not sure if my friend is here yet. Mark, are you in the room? Wave at me if you're here. One of my friends, he was supposed to be here. His son is sick, who's a movie director from LA that's considering moving here and and being here at Graceland Church, him and his wife and his little son. But man, I got to go on set with him for movies he was directing. I got to look at screenplays he was getting sent about new projects. And, And anytime you're doing something like that, you want the beginning to catch your imagination. You want it to set the stage. And these two verses sound like that to me. There's a feast, it's winter, Jesus is walking in Solomon's colonnade. And it's a little side note point, but number one says this, Jesus walked on the same earth we do and experienced the same seasons we experience. This is helpful because it helps us remember that he is the great high priest that can relate to everything going on in our life. Can you believe that Jesus actually walked this earth? Isn't that incredible? And he went through all the different seasons of weather that we do. Now, granted, in the Middle East, where he was, winter is about 50 to 57 degrees. How many would prefer that winter? Not me. I want a little bit of snow. I think Tennessee has the perfect winter. But nonetheless, we get a little overcast. Well, I don't know if it got overcast there, but it got a little cooler. So they're changing what they wear a little bit. You know, we talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles earlier, just about, let's see, a few chapters ago, they were talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, and that is every year in October. But now we're talking about the Feast of Dedication, which is actually happening in December. Let me give you a little little back history to help you understand. The Feast of Dedication is not even in the Old Testament. It was commemorated, it, it commemorated an event that happened in the intertestamental period, which, bear with me for a second on the history, but when the Old Testament was done being written, Before John the Baptist came and started proclaiming Jesus, there was a 400-year period called the Intertestamental Period. And in that time, there was something called the Maccabean Revolt, where the Jews were being persecuted by the Seleucid Empire, and he wanted to wipe out the worship of the living God of the Old Testament, and they've defiled the temple. But then Maccabeus took an army into Jerusalem and liberated the city, cleansed the temple, and get this, rededicated it on December 25th, right around 165-ish BC. And then they celebrated for eight days after that. And it became known as the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights or what the Jewish people today call Hanukkah. So this is them celebrating Hanukkah and Jesus is there. Everyone's descending. It's winter. You can sense this, how it would have felt. And he's walking in Solomon's colonnade, large white pillars, white bricks everywhere. It's also known as Solomon's porch. So they're like walking under this porch. And that's where this happened. It says in verse 24, the Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? They're just talking to Jesus. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now you got to remember Jesus has actually been talking with them quite a bit. We've been looking at it chapter after chapter. 
public discourse about who Jesus is, yet they're still asking, okay, we hear what you're saying, we hear the works you're doing, all this stuff is fine, but if you're really the Messiah, just tell us. And number two in your notes is this, most of us have prayed this same prayer. God, will you just tell me something clearly? Have you guys ever prayed that? It's like that prayer, if you would just tell me, I would do it, right? If you would just make it really clear, I'm all in. Yes, God, I'll follow you. It was the cry of their heart in this moment. Now, we know that in their case, because we're about to see how they respond to Jesus, they weren't really asking. They weren't really honest seekers. They did not want the answer Jesus was giving. And we see it start to unfold in verse 25, and Jesus kind of has a mic drop moment here. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. And that is an incredibly familiar and tragic exchange that I think all of us, if we're honest, can relate to. And that is, God has spoken to us more than we realize. He's spoken to us through his word. He has guided us in various seasons of our life. There might be very specific things he's whispered to your heart that you've completely forgotten about. And we end up in seasons of life again. Again, it's not a bad prayer, but sometimes we're asking God about things we've already discussed with him. And we're saying, God, just show me plainly. If this is true, please just show me plainly. Not a bad prayer for an honest seeker, but let me just dive into this with you for a moment. How many things are we wrestling with that God has already spoken to us about? I would submit to you a lot. I'll just use myself as an example. I've prayed the prayer all the time. Lord, show me what to do. I'll do anything you want. What, how do you want me to be fruitful right now in this chapter of my life? And a lot of times he's just like, Nathan, love your wife and your kids. Lay down your life for them. Be faithful. Commit your way to the Lord and trust that I will guide your steps. Keep going. Trust what I have said. Care for the poor and the vulnerable. Share the good news. Walk with integrity. And here I'm being like, will you please just speak to me how to live right now? Sometimes we're like, Lord, show me who you are. And it's, of course, not a bad prayer to say, I want to know you more. I pray that every day. But if we're just like, show me who you are, I think he'd be responding, hey, I've been telling you. Since you're a little kid, I'm your father, I'm your friend, I'm your savior, I'm your king, I'm your counselor, I'm your good shepherd, I'm your helper. And then if, you know, forever in seasons of life where we're wrestling with our identity, which is all of us at various times, I'm in a, I'm in a deep identity, I'm kind of joking here, I'm in a deep identity crisis right now because I'm about to turn 40, right? So I'm like, who am I, Lord? What are you calling me to do? Or I'm not really, I know what I'm called to do, but you know what I mean? Just like crying out to God. And he's just like, I told you, you're my beloved son. You're my prized possession. You're the apple of my eye. You just keep doing what I've called you to do. Can you guys relate with that? We like will wrestle with things that he's spoken to us about. Meanwhile, there is tremendous peace in actually believing Jesus. That's number four. You can even use this as a tool belt in your weapon for spiritual warfare, this word actually. Like when your mind uh, gets filled with something that's not true about you or about your circumstance or about someone in your life and it starts to pull you away, you can say, wait a second, thing that's not true. I actually believe Jesus. I actually believe what he says about me. I actually believe what he says about others. 
I actually believe what he says about this circumstance. Wait a second, anxiety that seems to run over my body? I actually believe that God is my Prince of Peace, that he has called me to live with him from a posture of rest. He's shown us how to live, what to do, how to trust, how to treat people, how to forgive. A lot of times, if we really want to hear God's voice, we can start by going back to our last area of disobedience. Like, when did we last hear direction from the Lord and just didn't do it? Or maybe just are still wrestling with it. It's like military terms, you're under the same orders until you get new orders. So I'll just speak for all of you husbands out there. I know we're all in the same boat with this. It is a lifelong journey how to lay down your life for your bride. Anybody with me? I wish we could just say, check. <laughs> Has anyone mastered that? Anybody here? Because I want to talk to you. People write books and claim to have mastered it. <laughs> no one has mastered it. So we come back to the same things that he has said to us a lot of times. Believe what he has already spoken. And often, I believe, our knowledge about Jesus needs to become our experience with Jesus. I've been talking a lot about God's love song for our city. Every morning I've been praying that, I've been sensing that. And I believe part of what he's saying over our city as just a, a unique thing to us is, I believe he says, I love you and I want you to know me, not just know about me. Again, we are used to a, a nation and an area that has a, a measure of Christianity that's just cultural. And that's not actually what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us to experience new life with him, not just to learn more about him. And it's great to learn more because it informs our experience with him, but if we're only learning more, we just know a lot about God, right? And again, I was that kid, and we have people in this area, and I don't know exactly who they are. It's not for us to know anyone's heart. Certainly, we can see the fruit of people's lives, but we have people working in professional Christian industries and around lots of people and maybe in the life of the church and serving and doing all the kinds of things that only know about him. And how tragic is that? Because God wants you to know him. So we need to shift from knowledge about to experience with. And I would submit to you that when you challenge yourself with, do I actually believe him, is when you start to make that shift from knowing about to experience with. Sometimes you need that sobering dose of truth. Wait a second, I'm kind of going through motions here. I might wake up and think about God once or twice in the day. I may do this or that. This may cross my mind, but that's very different than saying, Lord, I really believe you made this day and I wanna step into it with you. I, I want my life to be available to you today. I, I, want, I want repentance of sin that I know is here and needs to change. I want restoration of relationships. I want wholeness of heart. I want newness of mind. I wanna walk in your actual power. I want to know you. You guys see the difference? The thing that changes everything is when you actually meet Jesus. And then he goes on to articulate, the words I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So he gets very confrontational with them. And I love what he said at the end of verse 25. He's basically saying, I am not just about talk, but I'm actually following up what I say with what I do. He says, my works testify about me. The works in my Father's name. I'm so glad that the God that we serve and base our whole life upon is not just a God of talk, but he's a God of action. 
And you might need to be reminded about that. Wait a second. I am clinging to the one who actually shows up in power and changes things. And don't forget, he's speaking to them very specifically. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. He knows what's going on in their heart. And notice he didn't say they can't become his sheep, but he's saying you're not my sheep. He knew that they already decided in their heart. They are actually trying to destroy Jesus in this very moment. And then he goes in to describe his sheep. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And remember, he had just declared that he's the good shepherd. So there's a simple, practical application for us here to be with Jesus, listen to his voice and follow him. At some point, if we want to actually believe Jesus, we need to learn his voice. And it comes through his word. It comes through wise, godly counsel in our life. And it comes through his, the whispers of his spirit in our heart. His word, his wise counsel, and his whispers. And I just want to submit to you, man, you might need to lean into, I want to know your voice, Jesus, my good shepherd. And then follow his voice. Now, I want to be, make a really clear point here. Look at me for a second. This is not at all saying this is how you earn like God's presence or earn salvation. You must learn to perfectly hear his voice and follow. It's like the enemy can twist it in our minds and make us think, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not his sheep. I'm not very good at hearing his voice. I'm definitely not very good at following everything I hear. Well, let me just say, that's all of us. He refers to, his sheep he refers to us as sheep because sheep are stupid. <laughs> sheep make mistakes a lot. Sheep get things wrong. But you know what is indicative of sheep that belong to their shepherd is they keep returning to that voice. They keep returning. It doesn't mean you perfectly hear and you perfectly follow. That's no one. That's only Jesus. But it means you keep returning. You know, just yesterday, we had three soccer matches for three of my kids. And one was very early. One was at like 11 and one was at like 1.30. And during the 11.30 one, it was Ness's game, um, the clouds started rolling in. You know how we had those giant storms come through? Clouds rolling in. Now, I need to set the stage for you. I was there at this point by myself because my wife had to run back to her house. She had forgotten. What's up, Mark? Come on in. I'm just calling you out. This is my friend, Mark Freiberger. Welcome to Graceland Church. Welcome to Nashville. God has spoken. You're supposed to move here. I talked about you earlier. That's why I did this. This is my director friend from Los Angeles who's part of our church out there. He's actively praying about, is God calling him and his wife and his son to this area? Can we just help him hear God's voice right now? Yes. Yes, he is. Welcome. It's good to have you here, man. I told you his, his son woke up sick this morning, so he's just showing up for a minute. But um, So we're at the game yesterday. The storm is rolling in. Jessica's no longer there. We had two vehicles there. She took one home to get something. So I have my 10-year-old, my 7-year-old, and my 4-year-old. And Vanessa's playing her game. And by the way, I, it's like 18 fields, the soccer plex. So it's a giant, giant space. And I always try to park near where that game is going to be. But I got this day completely wrong yesterday. And I parked on this corner and we wandered around and finally found the field on this corner, diagonally, exactly opposite. I am not exaggerating. It feels like half a mile. It's really far away. And we're carrying chairs, snacks, leftover Chick-fil-A, kids, children. You know, I mean, we're doing this. And now we're there. We're that far from our vehicle. There is no shelter around. And a giant storm starts rolling in. We're hearing thunder. 
and the coaches are not calling it. And I'm thinking, I literally said to one of the other parents, I was like, aren't they supposed to call it if it starts to thunder? And they're like, no, they wait to see lightning. And I was like, I was like, they need to retake science. If there is thunder, there is lightning. They're not calling the game. And I'm thinking, man, if it starts downpouring right now, um, we're gonna have to walk a half a mile with my kids and all this stuff. We have no umbrella, no shelter. It is going to be a horrible, muddy mess. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm not joking, but my heart is pounding. It's like their lives are at stake. We're out on the field. The lightning's gonna strike. I mean, there's a gazillion people everywhere. So I made the split moment decision and I'm still not sure if it was right. And I said, okay, Nessa's playing. Kenzie, I said, Kenzie, you stay here with the stuff. I'm gonna take clay. If it starts pouring, stay here. I'm going to go get the car and make my way over here to get you guys for when it starts running. So I, I put clay in the airplane mode hold and I literally started sprinting. I'm not exaggerating. How often do you run as fast as you can as an adult? Not a lot. What happens when you try? You get hurt. You get exhausted. It's a rude wake-up call. And I was carrying a four-year-old and he was, I ran with him like this for a while. Then I put him on my shoulders. I'm like wheezing. I'm, I'm like, I'm running to my car and I'm not joking. I'm literally thinking, it, lightning is gonna strike. My kids' lives are at stake. I've, and I'm praying, I'm like, God, help me get to my car and then help me get over to the other side really quick. Because if it starts downpouring, I don't know what my two kids that I left behind are gonna do. Oh, high stakes. Thankfully, I got to my car. And I made my way over and I got there just in time as the downpour was starting. And I was like, all right guys, let's get everything together. I got the car right here. At this point, I'm like, yes, I pulled this off. Get everything, put it on. I'm like, Kenzie, help me. Nessa, the game's over. They called it. Everyone's now running off the field. The downpour is starting. And then all of a sudden the coach, who she's awesome, Coach Kelly, I don't know what she was thinking, but she just went, don't forget your snacks. She was on the other side of our field. I finally got my kids together. There are bolts of electricity coming out of the sky, destroying things around us. And as soon as she said that, all of my children dropped everything and ran to the snacks away from our car. And I'm laughing about it now, but I was legit angry. And I was like, no, no snacks today pick up your stuff, we're going to the car. And they all ignored me. And I'm thinking, if your coach says something, I'm thinking this, that is different than what your dad says, you listen to your dad. I am your shepherd, you know what I mean? And they went and got their snacks, I'm angry. I'm, finally they came back, now they're all wet, they're, they're that much more muddy, they've got extra snacks, we finally got in the car, and no joke, I, I, I was overly angry, I wasn't screaming, but I was overly angry in the car, and I was like, I cannot believe you guys ignored me when your lives were at stake, and when, when I just ran 10 miles to go get the car and sacrifice myself for you, I can't believe when it's this, like, I'm, I'm trying to like put the lesson in them. You know, I could be telling, there could be something coming that's gonna take you out. You gotta listen to my voice. You ignored me just because someone yelled snacks. I'm like, I've got snacks. I've got a gazillion snacks. We got snacks at home. We spend $10,000 on snacks a year. I'm, I'm just thinking, why didn't you listen to me, you know? And I, I wasn't actually yelling. This is all internal. And I was a little, um, I was being a little short. Kenzie, are you still in here? Is Kenzie back here? Yeah, I was being a little short with Kenzie, um, for sure. And eventually we, we settled down and, and I was like, I'm sorry. I think Kenzie actually apologized first. Good job, Kenzie. Yeah. <laughs> 
Kenzie's like, Dad, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I got angry. And here's why I share all that. Because they flat out ignored my voice in this moment when it really counted. But then they returned to my voice because they are my sheep, right? Are you tracking with me? Right now in this season of life, I am tasked to being one of their shepherds, right? And the re- I want you to be encouraged by this because Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And you immediately think, I immediately think, oh my goodness, how many times do I not listen to his voice and not follow? Am I his sheep? Well, let me tell you, if you are wrestling with wanting to hear his voice more, and if you are wrestling with wanting to follow him more, and if you right now are thinking, oh, I want to return to your voice again. I want to come back to that place of shelter. I want to get out of the storm. I want to listen to what you're saying. I don't want to be distracted by all the snacks. I want to run to you. I want to trust that you've got all the snacks I need. If that's you wrestling with it, you know why? Because you are his sheep. You are his sheep. And then look what he says out of the, right after that. He says, my father who has given these sheep to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. My goodness, what an encouragement. If you're his sheep, you cannot be snatched out of his hand. There's no safer place in the vast expanse of time and space than being in the hands of the father. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And then Jesus says, I and the father are one. And so the reason we can trust the works of Jesus is because they are the works of the Father. That's number seven in your notes. Jesus is just articulating to them, hey, you can believe what I'm saying. You can trust these works because they come from the Father. Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the perfectly clear image of who God is. If you want to know who God the Father is, you look to Jesus. Brian Zand said, Jesus is what God has to say. So actually believing Jesus is what changes everything. And sometimes it's what gets you to run out of the storm and take shelter in the only place you can take shelter. Like To go back to the story, the only shelter my kids had in that moment is my vehicle. They're running around looking for snacks, playing in the storm. Eventually, they're going to run back to the one place where they have shelter because they are with me. And then look what happens in verse 31. It's, It's very tragic, but again... His Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, I've shown you all these good works. For which of these do you stone me? And then their true colors are shown. They say, we're not stoning you because of any good work, but because of blasphemy, because you claim to be God. Really the whole time they were trying to inch Jesus towards saying that he is God, which is true, so that they can stone him for blasphemy. There was no changing the hearts in this particular conversation. They were enraged and threatened because he was breaking the traditions. He was healing on the Sabbath and none of the charges they could get would really stick. But this one, blasphemy, was the ultimate charge. Now we need to kill him. And then Jesus answered, and this is a little confusing, so I'm going to clarify this, then we're going to close. But Jesus answered, is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture could not be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. So bear with me here. This this deserves some exploration. What's happening here is Jesus is quoting Psalm 82, which his Jewish opponents would have completely understood, which says this, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods, small g. That can also be translated as judges. But then these small g gods are under indictment in this psalm. He said, how long will you defend the unjust? 
and show partiality to the wicked. Rather, you need to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. He goes on and on, and then at the very end, he says, rise up, O God, big G, judge the earth for all the nations are your inheritance. So this text, scholars believe, and the, his, and, and, uh, the Jews would have understood, they were being called gods with a small g in the sense that they were given the word. The people of Israel in the Old Testament were the only ones given the word. And in that sense, they were like small g gods, but also in that sense, they were indicted because they did not keep it. And they would be pulled back to mere mortals and will die like men which Psalm 82 talks to. And Jesus is saying, hey, if they could have been called small g gods just because they were given the word, how much more me, the living word, can say I am the son of God? Paul Butillier, one of the scholars I've been studying, basically articulated that really well. If the people of Israel could be referred to as gods just because they were recipients of the word, how much more should Jesus, who is the word, be referred to as the son of God? So it's important to understand historically um, that this is not uh, Jesus affirming that we are somehow small g gods. Yes, we're made in his image, but we're just only receiving from God everything that we have. And then Jesus really lays out the gauntlet. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do, even though you don't believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So there was just no convincing their hearts, and they were not actually believing. And then we see this in contrast to close out the text. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to an entirely different area. And this is where John the Baptist was in the early days. Jesus hung out there, many came to him, and look what they said. Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So they didn't even get all the signs that the people around the temple courts got, all the things that Jesus was doing, these works of the Father. But they had this faith, this sense of actually believing, and it says that many believed in Jesus. And I'm praying that Graceland Church and beyond us, our neighbors, the, the people that we know at work, this whole region to which God has called us, that it could be said of this place that many believed in Jesus. And let me add, it needs to be, I'm not saying this needs to be in the scripture, but we need to understand that many actually believed in point of fact or reality, not just named Christ, but actually believed. And so as the worship team's up, team comes up, I want you to challenge yourself with the questions I opened with. Am I actually believing Jesus? As you close your eyes with me, as you bow your heart before the Lord, here we stand, holy ground, because the Lord is with us. Am I actually believing Jesus? And what would my life look like if I actually believed Jesus right now? What would be different? And maybe you need to say, when all these untruths try to come into my mind, when all these lies try to come into my soul, I can combat them with, wait a second, I actually believe Jesus. I believe I'm his daughter, his son. I believe he's with me. I believe he has a plan and a purpose for me. I believe he's actually guiding my steps. I can have tremendous peace in actually believing. Wait a second. I can have life. I can have joy. Hold on. I can put this anxiousness aside. I can be filled with vision again. Because wait a second. The scorecard changes when I actually believe what Jesus has said. So I fix my eyes on you, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, as a church family. We pray the same thing in the last service. We fix our eyes on you. And we say, we believe you, Jesus, and help our unbelief. 
You say things in your word like, may it be done to us according to our faith. So may our faith rise. God, forgive us for wrestling with things, sometimes for year after year or decade after decade, that you've already spoken to us about. You've given us a clear sense of this. Help us to just take what you've already said and accept it. We believe you, Lord. And church, can you stand with me? The way we're gonna close is we're gonna sing this song again, The Great I Am. Keep your eyes closed. Let's focus our attention in on him. If you want, raise your hands up. But just a little bit before this is when Jesus said, in the midst of that divided company again, he said, before Abraham was, I am. It was one of the things that made him want to stone Jesus. It made them want to stone Jesus because he was declaring, I am the same God of the Old Testament. I am the same God of the future heavens and earth. I am the promised Messiah. He is the great I am. Before time and space, the master of all, the one who holds us, our good shepherd, the one who gives us shelter when we need it from the storm. Isn't that good news? So let's rise up and worship with all our hearts as we close. And as you do, say, I believe you, Jesus, and help me. We thank you for life in your house, God, based on your name. We thank you for this glorious gospel, this good news. We thank you for this shelter from the storm. We thank you for this grace to return to your voice. At any moment, any time, we can return to your voice and follow. We thank you for the invitation to actually believe you and take you at your word. And we just say yes to that together. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna pray this benediction. We'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.